Well, good afternoon. My name is Jeannie Stevens. It is so good to be with you today. And I have just loved this series that we have been in over the last few weeks and uh, looking at life in the present tense because life is very ripe, isn't it, with experiences that can lead us to anxiety or more fear or isolation. And so it has been so good to be reminded that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And wherever you are is where God is at. And so I have been so encouraged in this series and I'm excited to dive in deeper in just a moment. And before we do that, I wanna give us an opportunity to trust God in the present tense, specifically with our giving, specifically with the resources that God has given to us. And you know, every time that we gather as a church, we have one prayer that we pray and our prayer is this, that we would have an undeniable transformational encounter with Jesus that it'd be undeniable that we were with God and it'd be transformational that we leave and we are changed, we are different. And I can look at my own life and I can tell you that one of the clearest, most undeniable transformational ways that God has met me has been through my relationship with my resources. God has done such a beautiful work in my life as I have grown to trust in all that he has given to me and stewarding those back to him. And you know, one of the most amazing things about giving is that not only do we experience transformation on the inside when we trust God with our resources and we give, we also get to see how God multiplies our gifts and uses them in the world. And I wanted to tell you, Soul City Church, just this last week, uh, the ways in which you give here it was multiplied in a really tangible way. Probably many of you have been watching the news and you've seen all that has been occurring in Syria. And we have a partner there called Preemptive Love. And this last week, we were able to invest $10,000 to this ministry in Syria that is on the ground working with those that have been affected through the horrific aftermath of the chemical attacks. And, and what you need to know is that the resources that we were able to send there, they are making it possible to provide an emergency kitchen so that families can actually come and find a warm meal. The resources that you provided actually are helping people receive hygiene products like soap and like diapers. And the resources that you provided actually have helped to mobilize a medical team to care for those that are in an urgent situation and they have been injured. And that's one of the things that I most love about giving is that God changes us and not only does he change us, he uses those resources to change his world. So I just wanted to say th thank you, Soul City. Thank you for how you invest here, for your generosity. And for those of you that have been coming to this place and, and Soul City Church has started to feel like home and you haven't yet started to give, I wanna encourage you, it not only will change you, it is going to change other people's lives. You, you know, you think about the things that you give to, what better impact than to see God use your resources and multiply them all around the world. So I just wanna say thank you, Soul City, for how you have stewarded generosity here, and it is so beautiful to see how God is using that in and through this church. And obviously, there's three different ways that we give around here. In a moment, we're gonna pass the buckets because many of us love to give in this gathering. Uh, many of us text in to give. We live in a beautiful world that we can do all things through our mobile device, and so if that is 
baptize you and you would like to text in to give, the number is on the screen. And then so many of us, we love to set it up so that we can be consistent givers. And so that's how Jarrett and I give. It's how we've given since we started this church. And so you may want to go and set up online giving so that you can be consistent and even grow your giving over time. And so I would love to pause and to pray for our brothers and sisters in Syria today, as well as what God is going to do in and through us here today. So we pray with me. God, thank you. Thank you for how you often loosen the grip that money can have on our heart and have on our life. And as we hand it over to you, God, you do so much more with it. And so, Lord, thank you for the resources that were sent to our brothers and sisters in Syria, to those that find themselves in such a horrific, tragic landscape of life, one that they never saw coming. And God, we thank you that you are an ever-present help in trouble. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would be the great protector, that you would be the great hope, and that you would be the great healer for our brothers and sisters in Syria this morning. And Father, now for uh, this message, I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would create a space of ministry, that you would create a space of healing, a space of hope, a space, God, where we can be seen and loved and held in your love. And God, I really do pray that the words that come out of my mouth, um, that they would be a gift. And Lord, anything that I am not supposed to say, I just, I literally pray, God, keep my mouth shut. And that only words that would be used by you, Holy Spirit, today would come out. We trust that you are going to do a beautiful work of healing in and through your spirit today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I want to invite the host team to come forward, and they are going to receive the offering. And as they do that, I want to take us a little back. How many of you remember this game? Yes. How many of you played this game when you were little? Yeah. Absolutely, I am right there with you, absolutely. Shoots and Ladders, it's a classic childhood game. Both of my kids, they loved this game when they were little. I loved this game when I was little. And for those of you that are not aware of Shoots and Ladders, which I think is maybe like 2% of the room, most of us have played Shoots and Ladder at some point in our life. Uh, the way that the game works is if you fall on a space and there's a ladder, you get to ascend closer to the place where you would be a winner, right? And if you land on a space in a place where there is a chute, where there is actually a slide, you slide down and you descend away from the possibility of being a winner. Now, the interesting thing about about shoots and ladders is that this game came out in 1943 came out in 1943 so shoots and ladders has been around for over 75 years 75 years but the idea of ascending and descending has been around from the beginning of time hasn't it I remember thinking as a child when I was playing the game that I thought, man, the slides look like so much more fun, right? The slides look like they're going to be a good time. That was until I realized that the slides were not going to help me win. And if there is something that you need to know about me, I like to win games. And the strange thing about shoots and ladders, even though the slides look like so much more fun, 
is that shoots and ladders mirrors the reality of life. And as I began to grow and mature, I saw how much more I preferred the ladders over the shoots in life. You see, I imagine that you probably feel the same way because I love when life seems to be working in my favor. I love when I feel like I am on a regular ascent, right? When I am climbing a ladder, when my marriage feels good, when, when our family feels good and, and there's no chaos, there's, there's no tension in our family, when my job feels good, when our finances feel good. I, I love when I can send texts on a regular basis with the praise hands, right? And, and the lady in the dancing red dress and she's like, Right? You know, I, I love life to feel like that. I mean, right? Who, who doesn't want hashtag too blessed to be stressed, right? We all kind of want that as our current life. But the further I have traveled the terrain of this life, I've come to realize that the shoots of life are the places, if we are open, where God does his deepest transformation in our lives. The shoots come when we experience moments of change, when the unexpected happens. Maybe it's through a betrayal. Maybe it's a dream that you had and it is then shattered. Maybe it's through a disappointment or through a diagnosis. Maybe it's through a breakup or a divorce. Sometimes it comes in the letting go of someone that you love. Sometimes it occurs and an actual death. And every one of those shoots is a loss of what was. And it's in the soil of loss, the soil of our grief, where God does his deepest, most transforming work in our lives. But here's the thing with loss. None of us wants it. None of us lays out a welcome mat for loss in our lives. We don't tend to sing songs and throw parties for loss in our lives because loss feels more like a thief, doesn't it? Loss feels like a thief. It takes what once was and once is gone and we realize we will never return to how life was. That is because all change is a loss and all loss changes us. All change in this life is a loss. At some degree or another, all change is a loss, and loss changes us, doesn't it? It changes us. And there are the seemingly smaller losses in life, and then there are the ones that take our breath away. But all change is a form of loss, and that loss changes who we are. And I'm so tender to those of us here in this room today that find ourselves in a season of loss. You find yourself in a season of grief. And I just want to say to you at the beginning of this message, I see you. I see your loss. I see your grief. And I know that there are others in this room here today, and you are not necessarily in a season of grief. You're not in a season of loss, but you are walking with someone that is, a dear friend, a family member. And you are holding space, and you are offering the gift of presence and prayer and friendship to someone that finds themselves at the bottom of a chute of loss. 
And I know that there is nothing like loss in a person's life to get them to the point where they cry out to God and they say, where are you, Lord? Where are you? Where are you, God? And more than anything, I am praying that the Holy Spirit would minister here today and that the mysterious and meaningful ways in which God can come in in the midst of our loss and bless us and hold us, I am praying that you would know that you know that you know that you have been with God today. So I want to invite you to actually grab the Bible that is underneath your seat, and we're going to turn to an Old Testament book. It is the book of Job. And Job is a story of a man that dealt with profound loss in his life. We're going to look at the start of Job. We're going to go to the first chapter. It's found on page 403. And while you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context for the book of Job. Job is described as the wealthiest person in the East. He was a man of importance. He was a man of influence. His land and his livestock were endless. So picture somebody like Jeff Bezos, right? His Amazon boxes are endless, okay, right? I want you to picture someone like that, okay? Job's life was on a steady ladder. It was on a steady ladder. It was up and to the right. Not only that, the Bible tells us that Job was also a man of integrity, that he honored God with everything that he had. But what ends up happening to Job is that all of the powers of heaven and hell come against Job and he loses everything, everything. He loses all of his wealth, he loses his land, he loses the livestock, all 10 of his children die. He's struck with an intense sickness and disease that eventually make him an outcast. And this once man that was held in so much honor is now humbled and broken down. And Job came to the end of himself. The shoot of loss in Job's life left him with nothing. And in a moment, we're going to see Job's reaction when he is faced with his loss. I want you to look at Job 1, starting at verse 20, and this is what it says. It says, at this, meaning at the realization of all that had been lost, Job got up, he tore his robe, and he shaved his head. Why did Job do this? What is the significance? Why did Job tear his robe and shave his head? Well, first, this was part of a Jewish practice of mourning, the start of Shiva, which is a week of intense lament, mourning, and grief. But you need to understand that Job was in shock, wasn't he? I mean, he had just gone down a chute of loss that left him with nothing. Not only were his resources gone, not only was all that he had worked towards gone, but all 10 of his children were dead. About a month ago, Jarrett and I were at a funeral of some dear friends, and they have four children, four boys. One of their boys died. And as I was sitting at that funeral, I literally felt an ache in my heart watching these parents knowing that in a moment they were going to bury their son. 
So, so the loss and the grief and the anguish that Job was experiencing was palpable. It says that he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. Job literally fell to the ground. The crushing and the pressing loss could not even sustain his physical standing. His body couldn't stay standing. The loss was so immense. And it says that he fell to the ground and he worshiped. Well, what a strange response, right? He fell to the ground and worshiped. And I don't believe that it was the kind of worship where he was just praising and, and singing with joy and, and thanksgiving. It was the kind of worship that we see in the Psalms. It was a worship of lament. It was a crying out from the very guttural parts of who Job was. And he says, I came into this world naked, and now I have been stripped of everything I hold dear. I might as well die. I mean, Job is at the end of himself, isn't he? This is anguish. This is despair. This is honest, vulnerable, authentic grief. Look at what Job says as he worships. In verse 22, it says, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. But may the name of the Lord be praised. And in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with any wrongdoing. You see, Job, in this moment, he acknowledges the mystery of God. That God does give, doesn't he? He gives. He gives in our lives. And while he does not cause the loss, God allows things and people to be taken away. And somehow, somehow, even as Job ran around the stages of grief in a split moment, and he, he walked th through the denial, through the anger, through the bargaining, through the depression, he was still able to say, may the name of the Lord be praised, even though he didn't understand. Somehow, somehow, in his despair, he deepened his dependence on God. And the majority of the book of Job is a picture of how Job sinks deeper and deeper into the soil of grief. In fact, the very next chapter, chapter two, you can turn there, it actually says that the only person left in Job's life was his wife. And his wife was so undone with the loss as they submerged deeper and deeper into this swamp of grief, it says that at one point she came to her husband and she said, Job, you just need to curse God and you need to die. I'm sure Job was like, thank you, honey. I, I so appreciate your words, right? But she was so undone with the loss and the ache and the misery and the questions, it felt like it was just too much. And Job says to his wife in Job 2.10, he says, he replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Should we open up our hands to God and say, God, I'm ready to receive all of the gifts that you bring into my life, but when grief is here, I'm just going to shut my arms to you. 
Job somehow in this moment knew, he knew even in the darkest night of his soul that as we surrender ourselves to Jesus, we surrender to a life that has both gifts and has grief. That we surrender to moments of delight and we also surrender to moments of deep discouragement. That we surrender to moments where literally life feels like pure bliss. And then there are moments when our heart is broken open and we are split in two. And what we see in Job's life is a deep respect for the loss in his life. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't dismiss it. He respects that it's real. And he honors that grief actually has a role to play in our lives. You see, we need to learn to respect the losses in our lives so that we can grieve the losses in our lives. So many of us, we want to deny them. We want to dismiss them. But we have to learn to actually respect this is loss in my life. This is loss in my life. And when we respect that it is loss, when we name that it is loss, we can begin to grieve the loss. You think about the different losses that maybe you have walked through. The loss of a loved one. The loss of a job. Maybe the loss of a relationship that was important to you. Loss of even a season of life that you were walking through. I remember having a very tangible moment when I realized I was in an experience of loss of a season of life. My kids are a little bit older now, and I remember kind of passaging through a season where I realized my kids don't need me the same way that they once needed me. They're no longer dependent on me the same way that they were once dependent on me. They don't need me to tie their shoes. When we're out to dinner, they're actually ordering the meals that they want, so they don't need me to cut their chicken at the meal, right? I remember actually dropping Elijah off at school, and I went in to give him a kiss goodbye, and he was like, see ya, Mom, (laughs) and gave me a fist bump, right? A fist bump. Who greets their mother with a fist bump, right? And I remember in that moment thinking, oh, wow. Parenting is changing. Mothering is changing. This was like last week, right? Um, (laughs) But I remember thinking to myself, hold it together, hold it together, hold it together. If he wants a fist bump, he surely does not want his mother weeping in the school. And I got outside of the school and just a bucket of tears came down. Because the season that I was once in as a mother, I was not in that season anymore. I remember even realizing that I could no longer describe us as a young family. Have you looked at Jared? He's not young. (laughs) Right? And so I I could no longer describe us as a young family. I had to grieve that that season of life was done. I had to respect the loss, that I was not in that season of life anymore. And by doing that, it made me available to the present tense season that I'm in. 
It made me available to what God wants to do in the here and the now. I had to respect that that season was over so I could be available to the new season that God was inviting me into. And friends, the worst grief and suffering in life is the grief and suffering that we reject. The worst, the worst grief and suffering life is the suffering and grief that we reject. The grief that we deny, the grief that we dismiss, the grief that we say, I am unwilling to walk through that. And see, when we have acknowledged that something or someone has been lost, then we can begin to walk through the stages of grief. And sometimes it requires us walking through them over and over and over again. And what we need to understand is that grief is never the same for anyone. No one travels the stages of grief the exact same way because no loss is the same. Every loss is unique. But all of us at some point and sometimes many points throughout this life will need to travel through the stages of grief. You'll need to travel through the stages of denial, of anger, of bargaining, of depression, and then eventually acceptance. And all of these stages occur as the present tense plucks us out of a past tense. A past tense that perhaps we did not want to leave. And one of the hardest parts of grief is realizing that you cannot grieve what you have not left. You cannot grieve what you cannot leave. So much of the pain of doing the work of grieving is knowing that you are leaving a season. Perhaps leaving a place that you love. Even leaving a person. And so much of the grief work that is necessary for our healing is knowing that you cannot grieve what you cannot leave. I remember before we moved into uh, this transformation center back in the fall, one day before the building was opened, I just came over here to Soul City Church and I just did a walk through our old space. I walked through the first floor and walked into all of the rooms. I walked into the second floor, walked throughout all of the rooms, and I just walked around thanking God for all that he had done in that season thanking God for the different transformational moments, thanking God for the different ways in which I saw him move, thanking God for that season that we were in as a church. And at the end, as I walked through that, I said, God, I know that I am now leaving this season and making myself available to a new season. If I tried to hold on to an old season, I would not be available to what God wants to do in this new season. I had to grieve, I had to say thank you, and I had to step into the present tense. Many of you have heard uh, part of my story is that 14 years ago, very suddenly, um, my father and my brother were running in a, um, a race with one another. And my father fell very um, suddenly, they thought that he had sprained his ankle, And in fact, he was in heart failure. 
And in the midst of him falling in the race and in the chaos of all of that, they were unable to revive him and they were unable to bring life back to him. And my young, vibrant, alive, my biggest cheerleader, my biggest fan, was gone. And I will never forget that phone call. I will never forget driving up to that hospital and seeing my brother standing outside of the emergency room. The look on their face is still seared in my mind. I will never forget walking into that room, you know that room where they put people off to the side and seeing my mom hunched over in shock. And the grief was undoing. It was undoing. I had never experienced anything like that in my life before. And I remember thinking to myself, if I let go and, and I exhale that this is real, I will have to receive that this is true. That my dad is gone. That he's not returning. And I didn't want to leave that past tense because I was so afraid of what the present tense would mean. But eventually, eventually, as my heart was broken open, I had to choose to say, God, this is not the present tense that I would have written for my life. This is not the story that I would have chosen. But I don't want to live my life with a hole inside of my heart. God, I want you to take this hole and somehow make me whole. And so many of us are afraid of the leaving because the loss has left such a hole in our lives that we fear we will never be the same, that the loss will actually make us less. And one of the very best books that I read as I was walking through my own grief journey is a book uh, called A Grace Disguised. It was written by a man named Jerry Sitzer. And one of the things that you need to know about Jerry is that one evening he was driving and in the car were his four children, his wife, and his mother. And as they were driving, very suddenly, a drunk driver hit them. And in an instant, his wife, his mother, and his four four-year-old daughter were killed. And Jerry was left as a single father in a matter of moments to raise at that time his eight-year-old, seven-year-old, and two-year-old. And Jerry says in his book, A Grace Disguised, he says, it is therefore not true that we become less through loss unless we allow the loss to make us less grinding our soul down until there is nothing left but an external self entirely under the control of circumstances. Loss can also make us more. In the darkness, we can still find the light. In death, we can also find life. It depends, though, on the choices we make. And I began to see that grief can actually grow something in us. 
That, that while there is a hole, that something can grow out of that hole. That while we will never be able to return to what was, grief has the potential to grow good fruit in our lives. And while we would never choose the loss, we can choose to do the work of grief, knowing that it will bear growth and fruit in our lives, that we can be fruitful in our grieving. You see, good grief produces good fruit. When we do good grief work in our lives, it produces good fruit in our lives. Our loss is not meant to leave a hole. In fact, the loss is meant to actually cause us to become more whole. And I will never forget standing in my bathroom on the morning of my father's funeral as I was getting ready. And I remember looking in the mirror as if to have a very clear conversation with God and saying out loud to him, God, I know, I know that you use everything together for the good of those that love you. And I know that you probably will even use this in my life to produce good in my life but all I want is my dad. I don't, I don't want any of those things that are gonna be good in my life. I just want my dad back. Some of you know that feeling. Some of you know that level of loss. But even in the midst of that heartache and heart break something in me, something in me knew that this hole was somehow going to make me whole if I was willing to grieve the loss. You see, there are two ways when loss comes into your life, when you find yourself at the bottom of a chute, and if you have not been at the bottom of a chute, I can make one promise to you today. At some point in your life, you will be at the bottom of a chute. And when you find yourself in an experience of loss, there are two paths that we take. There is the path of the ungrieved loss, where we choose and we say, I'm not going to grieve this loss, I'm going to deny this loss, I'm going to dismiss this loss, I'm going to ignore this loss, and it becomes an ungrieved loss in our lives. That is one path to go. That is the path that most of the world takes when loss shows up at their doorstep. But there is another path, and that is the path of the grieved loss. That when you find yourself at the bottom of a chute, when you find yourself in the midst of a loss that you never saw coming, that you choose to open yourself up and say, God, I would have never written this hole into my life, but I am going to do the work of grief so that good grows in my life. And both of these paths grow something. Both of these paths grow things in our lives. The, the ungrieved loss actually begins to grow a spirit of chronic complaining. When you have an ungrieved loss in your life, you become a chronic complainer. That is because grief and loss need some place to go. And when it's not grieved, it comes out in our words where we chronically complain. It can be in sarcasm, it can be in uh, being cynical. 
But when grief is not worked through, we become bitter and critical with our words. But grieved loss, grieved loss actually grows a peaceful appreciation. A peaceful appreciation. Not necessarily an appreciation for the loss, because the loss is real, but a peaceful appreciation for the work that God is doing in and through your life. It's an opportunity where, where there's this sense of reconciliation that gets made with the mystery of loss, much like we see in Job's life. Ungrieved loss grows a guarded heart. It grows a guarded heart. A person that doesn't grieve the losses that come into their life, they become protected, they become closed off, not allowing themselves to get close to others because they often fear that if they let themselves take, be taken over by the grief that they will be out of control. And so what they do is they guard their heart and oftentimes it's a self-protective move because of the fear of the other shoe dropping. But somebody that is grieving their loss, what grows in that hole is an open heart. A heart that is available to what God is doing. A heart that is available to the Spirit. A person that allows themselves to be with the loss. To be undone. To, to stay open and soft and pliable. Ungrieved loss grows resentment. Resentment grows in this hole. And what happens is that if we don't do grief work, resentment starts to grow an irritation, a defensiveness, a self-protection. But what happens when we do the grief work is that contentment grows in our life. There's a peaceful openness. There's a sense of, of trusting and surrendering and reconciling that there are many things in this world that we will not have an answer to. And we open up our hands in surrender. Ungrieved loss grows isolation. We close ourselves off from others. And it's this internal determination that we say to ourselves, no one would understand this grief, and so I'm not going to share it with anyone else. And so, so we grow ourselves, and, and what ends up happening is there's an experience of isolation. But, but over here, grieved loss grows connection. I'll never forget when my father passed away. A few weeks after that, I decided that I was going to attend a grief recovery group. And there was no other place that I wanted, I, it was the place that I most didn't want to be. I, I didn't want to go to this class because I didn't want to accept that I was having to walk through this kind of loss. And I will never forget walking up the stairs and walking into the room and seeing the table that had the title in the middle of it that said, people that have lost their parents unexpectedly. That was the table where I was seated at. And I didn't want to sit at that table. I didn't want to accept that I had experienced an unexpected loss of a parent. And all of these strangers that were sitting at the table, I didn't want to open myself up to them. But somehow in the process of choosing to do the grief work, these strangers became sojourners for me. They became healers in my story. And I became a healer in their story. 
And grieved loss grows connection. Ungrieved loss grows repressed emotions. Where we hold everything in instead of finding a healthy way to let our emotions out. And repressed emotions always end up coming out in unhealthy behavior, causing pain to yourself and to others. But grieved loss grows expressed emotions. And what expressed emotions need is they don't need answers, they just need space. They just need space to be felt. And this, friends, this is the good fruit that God grows as we do good grief. This is the good fruit that he grows in our life as we give ourselves to the work of good grief. And I love how Jerry Sitzer, in his book, he describes this process and he says, I never got over the loss of my loved ones. Rather, I absorbed the loss into my life. Like soil receives decaying matter until it became a part of who I am. Sorrow took up permanent residence in my soul and enlarged it. Enlarged it. You see, loss is never something that we would choose. None of us goes looking to go down a chute of pain in our lives, but grief has this way of enlarging our soul and somehow we actually experience more of God. It's what we see in the life of Job as he walked through his grief. And I know that there are so many in this room today and you are walking through a season of loss. Your heart is holding the pain of grief. But as I was praying this last week, I had this sense that God was not calling me to just speak to those of us that are in a season of loss, but to also speak to those of us that are holding space and supporting others that are walking through grief. I felt the Spirit over and over and over again say to me, press in, Jeannie. Press in and invite people to become a community that holds space in a sacred way for those that are walking through grief. You know, I've said often that one of the greatest gifts and joys of my life is I love this church. I love pastoring this church. I am so grateful for this community. This church has transformed my life. But a few moments ago when I threw Jared under the bus of not being so young, uh, I have to identify that I am in the same season as him. And I am not so young. And having been a pastor for 20 plus years now, I have walked in a lot of seasons with a lot of people. I've been with couples when they experience the devastating news of a miscarriage. I've sat in the room with parents as their 18-year-old son passed from a brain tumor. I've been in the living room with a family that received the horrific news of suicide. I have walked with couples as their marriage 
fell apart and they found themselves in the throes of divorce. I have sat when people have waded through the ache of a breakup or the loss of a job. I have sat at the bedside of dear, dear, dear friends as their spouses have moved from this life to the next. And I have stood at the graveside far too many times when the finality of life is so clear. And what I have come to understand as I have walked for so many years in my own grief and as I have held space for others in grief is that we are called to support and to hold up one another when we are in seasons of grief. You know, the story of Job, I would encourage you to go on and to read it. And he has three friends um, that walk with him throughout his story. And it says in Job 2, verse 11, it says, when Job's three friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Do you get, do you get what they did there? They went to Job. They went to him when, when Job was at the bottom of the chute when he was at the the deepest and darkest hour of his life, they went to him. They agreed together and they said, let's go, let's offer our presence and our comfort. And it says that when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. That's what grief does, doesn't it? When we are so overcome with sorrow, sometimes we are unrecognizable. And it says they began to weep aloud They tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their head. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. So beautiful that these friends came and they sat with him in the midst of his suffering. You know, later on in the book of Job, as I said, I would encourage you to go and read it. They forgot, these friends forgot how they started. And they ended up causing Job more pain as they tried to just kind of hurry his grief along. They just wanted him to get over his loss. And they started to to offer words that were insensitive and unkind actions. And often when someone is grieving, those of us that are around those that are grieving, we often find ourselves saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And I just want to offer you a few words, and I want to speak to those of you that are holding space for those that are grieving in this church or those that are grieving in your life. The first thing that I want to say to you is show up. So City, will you show up for people? Like show up when they are in the throes of loss. When life puts them on a shoot and they are at the bottom of it, what we get to do as the body of Christ is we get to show up, amen? It's what God calls us to do. I still, to this day, it is seared on my mind every person that showed up for me. Show up. Make yourself available. The second thing that I want to say to you is speak up. 
Offer words like, I love you. I am aching with you. My heart grieves with you over this loss. Say words like, I am going to bring a meal to your house at 6 p.m. on Tuesday. If you don't want to see me, let me know and I will just leave it at the door. Often, with good intentions, we say, what do you need? A person that is grieving has no idea what they need. Just show up, offer, make a casserole. And the third thing sounds like the exact opposite of what I just said. Show up, speak up, and shut up. I grew up in a family that if we ever said shut up to one another, we had to put a quarter in a jar. So I now have three quarters that I've had to put in a jar because I've given this message three times now today. There are some words that don't need to be said. You see, Job's friends, they sat in silence. They held space with him for seven days. Your friend that is grieving does not need to hear your story of grieving, okay? They don't need your story of grieving in that moment. They don't need to hear the phrase, you know what? Everything happens for a reason. That is not helpful. You don't need to say phrases like, I guess God needed another angel. That causes more hurt, causes more pain, it causes more destruction to a heart that has already been ripped open in grief. In Soul City, I long for us to be a community of people and I pray to God that this city, when it experiences its losses and when it experiences its pain, whether they are a Jesus follower or not, that this community would be described as a place, listen, I don't know where you are at with God, but here's what I know about the community of Soul City Church. If you are grieving, they will hold you in your loss. May we be a community of people that says, I see you where you are, and I will hold you right where you are. Because when we are brokenhearted and when we are crushed, we don't need prescriptions we need presence. We need the presence of Jesus. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We need the presence of God. And we need the presence of one another. I don't want to give you a moment. I want to give you a gift of the presence of the Holy Spirit to just minister to you for a moment. And so you may want to just put down anything that is a distraction to you, anything that you're holding. Maybe put away your phone. Most definitely turn it off. Just allow yourself to be in this moment. And whether you are at the bottom of a chute, whether you have been there in the past, whether you are holding space for someone that is there now. I want to invite you to just sit and let the Spirit of God minister to you right now as we are reminded that even when we cannot utter the words, it is well with my soul, that Jesus can be our ever-present help in trouble and can anchor our soul to his peace.